Welcome back here to NL Newsday. Of course, it is Monday, the first day of the work week. So as always, pleased to welcome to the show, Acumen Laws, Kyla Lee. Kyla, how are you here on this Monday? I'm great. Thank you for having me. Appreciate the time. As always, now let's start here with this horrific stabbing incident that occurred in North Vancouver here over the weekend. So RCMP there have charged a 28-year-old man with second-degree murder in connection to the stabbing spree that took place outside the Lynn Valley Library branch on Saturday. Six others wounded in the attack and treated in hospital for non-life-threatening injuries. Uh, police said on Saturday that the suspect is known to them and did have a criminal record. Um, Kyla, I guess just a second-degree murder charge has been laid here, um, but you got to assume that other charges will be coming. I mean, we're talking about seven victims here, and yes, one unfortunately died, so the murder charge makes perfect sense in this scenario, but should we expect more charges to be coming in this type of a situation? We can absolutely expect more charges to be coming. British Columbia is a little different than other provinces in that most of the time in B.C., um, it's not a, pol a police officer who decides what charges to lay. It's a prosecutor. And in order to do that, the prosecutor has to review all of the evidence and be satisfied that there's a substantial likelihood of conviction. Um, oftentimes what happens in serious incidents like this, where there is you know, a potential risk to the public if somebody were to be released, is they lay the most serious charge for which they have the best evidence at the time just to put the matter before the court to have a bail hearing, hopefully to have the person detained um, or put on restrictions that are going to protect the public in order to get the ball rolling. And then they have um, an unlimited amount of time in a circumstance like this to lay any other charges that appear to be appropriate. And I expect that we'll see, you know, assault with a weapon, aggravated assault uh, charges coming. Yeah, um, I guess, you know, I'm coming from Ontario, and, and typically there we would see police kind of throw every single charge that's available to them at the wall and then just kind of see what sticks. I guess why does BC kind of take more of an opposite approach to that? Is there a reasoning behind how kind of BC does things compared to other provinces? There is a reasoning behind it, and it, it historically relates to situations we had in BC. We had an inquiry that was done to determine whether it was more appropriate to do the charge approval process this way. As a result of that type of situation on Ontario, police determining what charges to lay, not necessarily understanding the law, laying charges that couldn't be proven or on the basis of evidence that was not quality evidence, and it had the effect of resulting in some wrongful uh, convictions here in BC. So we had an inquiry and as a result of that inquiry, we developed a process uh, whereby Crown would approve which charges to lay to protect uh, the uh, potential of wrongful conviction and to keep people from having to go through the justice system when they don't have to. Yeah, I was going to that was kind of my follow up. Does this kind of way that things are done here in British Columbia, does that actually save quite a bit of court time as well? It saves a ton of court time, and all of the sort of national inquiries that have looked at court delays um, have pointed to BC and the model that we use here as a good way to cut down on the delay in bringing matters to trial. The number of cases that are before the court are fewer, and the cases that are taken to trial are much stronger, so they're more likely to be a valuable use of court time. And I'm imagining it, it probably helps, uh, you know, on your side, if you're a defense lawyer in a particular case, that you're not trying to prove things that, you know, shouldn't necessarily have to be uh, debunked in the first place, right? So you're kind of just dealing with the charges that actually apply to a situation. So I imagine not only does it save the crown time, but it probably saves defense quite a bit of time as well. Oh, absolutely. It's less of a distraction to have to deal with charges for which there is no evidence and to go, go through the you know process of pointing out that there's no evidence 
developing examinations to point out that there's no evidence, arguing that there's no evidence when those charges just aren't there in the first place. Um, Shifting gears here a little bit, I understand just going back actually to that uh, stabbing incident, we are expecting to hear a little bit more from RCMP at some point today. So I'll, I'll uh, update people on what the changes are, if any, uh, here once uh, once we're done with this conversation. But Kyla, uh, new fines for COVID-19 rule breakers. On Friday, the BC government announced that it has more than doubled the fine for promoting or attending a non-compliant gathering or event from $230 to $575. Minister of Public Safety and Solicitor General Mike Farnworth said that that over the last several months, it's become clear that for some, the risk of a $230 violation ticket is not enough to deter attendance at events that violate the provincial health officer's orders. Uh, you and I have talked about you know, this type of a thing numerous times when it comes to fines. Um, you know, I don't disagree with these fines going up, but I just wanted to start by maybe getting you to reiterate the point that you have so often made to me, and that is the dollar amounts attached to these fines don't necessarily seem to be an impediment to the activity. Um, so has your thoughts changed at all on that? And in this specific alteration, is this something that you would support? I mean, I support it in the sense that it may deter some individuals who weren't deterred before. But by and large, I, I you know, reiterate my previous comments that, you know, imposing a fine and putting a, a financial penalty for not complying with, with the COVID gatherings order isn't going to stop people from doing it. Um, you know, most people, when, when they get ready to go out, they want, they want to go to an event, they're willing to outlay a cost. Um, for the privilege of doing that. And this is just going to be factored into their cost-benefit analysis. And, you know, people are tired of restrictions, and uh, understandably so. Um, it's been a year. Uh, they're tired of not going out and seeing their friends. They've also, by and large, saved a lot of money not going out and seeing their friends. So I think a lot of people have the, you know, the savings available to them to take that risk and potentially have to pay that cost. Um the fines weren't changed for people who are, you know, hosting events. Um, I, I wonder if maybe that should be something that should go up as well, because it seems to me that the people attending events don't seem to be impacted by the risk of a fine. But the people who are organizing these events don't seem to be too uh, afraid of a $2,300 ticket. So I'm wondering if maybe that's where things should be increasing is those who are organizing, not so much those attending. The difficulty with that is that the government may not have the power to make it any larger than $2,000. If these fines are being implemented as part of something called BC's Offense Act, um, so as a provincial offense, uh, which is what uh, the legislation has been classified as, then the fines can only be a maximum of $2,000. The government would have to amend the Offense Act to give it the power to issue fines that are higher than $2,000 in order to have any success in making the argument that uh, that the fines uh, should be more than $2,000 and in order to make that actually something that they're allowed to legislate on. Interesting. Okay, well, I, I do think it would make more of an impact, but if they don't have the powers to do that, I guess there's not much options moving forward in that regard. We'll see, though, if this fi uh, $575 ticket does make an impact. I just uh, I have hesitance that it will, and you, you reiterated the point here earlier on that uh, oftentimes these types of fines don't seem to stop people from taking part in that activity. Maybe it makes them think a little bit longer about going, but, uh, you know, if they want to go, they're probably going to go and risk the fact that they might get a fine and hope that they actually end up getting away with it. But we'll see.
see if it makes any impact. Clearly, the province trying what it can to uh, deter people from participating in mass gatherings. And uh, I understand we're getting more rules about that here this afternoon. And we'll continue to follow whatever changes the province announces here throughout the course of this program. Uh, one more topic I wanted to get here with you, Kyla, and that's in relation to cruise ships. Um, some concern from the B.C. Liberals that uh, the potential for legislation south of the border could be altered for cruise ship industry uh, this upcoming cruise season. We know ships will not be stopping at Canadian ports this year and the Alaskan tourism industry worried about cruise lines maybe looking elsewhere, right, if they continue to have to anchor at Canadian ports due to legislation that currently requires them to make stops at international destinations, so places like Vancouver, Victoria, etc. Um, the opposition has been calling on our provincial government to do more to make sure Canada is not left out of the water completely here. Um, if a law, I guess, were to temporarily be altered, should there be fear that the change like that could become permanent? If they're allowed to bypass Canada this summer, is there a fear that, uh, a legitimate fear that that could be a permanent change moving forward? I think that there is a fear that it could be a permanent change moving forward, but I think if you look at it from, you know, the, the perspective of an industry, um, it, it, it's a saleable point that you're stopping your cruise ship in Vancouver and Victoria. People who go on these Alaskan cruises aren't just going to see the Alaskan coastline and, and to visit uh, the coastal cities in Alaska. They're also going because they want to see Vancouver, because they want to see Victoria. I've had these discussions with my American colleagues, and there are ways that the government could craft legislation to allow this for now and explicitly indicate that this is only a temporary measure as a response to the COVID-19 pandemic. Yeah, I think it's a legitimate concern, though, the, just that the, the province is saying this is kind of up to the federal government to take a lead on. And um, obviously the opposition here in British Columbia is saying maybe our provincial NDP government should be doing a little bit more, at least picking up the phone and having conversations on this. Is it easy to change something like this? You know, if there is a temporary change made, does it become that much easier to make it permanent if that's already on the books? It does become easier to make it permanent because it's, uh, once it's already on the books, because all you have to do is, is pass another piece of legislation or a regulation to continue with existing uh, protocols. Mm -hmm. um, but I think if the government were to do that, uh, it would face significant backlash from the tourism industry and all of the industries that rely on the cruise ship tourism um, in a way that would, I think, be quite precarious uh, for the positions that those governments have in future elections. So I'll just get your own personal point then. You're a Vancouver resident. Uh, obviously, the city of Vancouver gets a lot of dollars from these cruise ships. When they dock in Vancouver, people come into the city and spend their bunch of money. I believe it was somewhere in the, the realm of $3 million uh, injected into the Vancouver economy when a cruise um, ship does stop at the city. So... You, I'm sure, would say it's good for Vancouver to have these and you're not worried about uh, the potential for the tourism industry to be impacted in, say, 2022 by any temporary changes in 2021. I'm not worried that these are going to become long-term changes. I, I don't think that the government uh, would let the sort of financial boon just sail away, so to speak. I like the pun. That's a good way to end things. <laughs> Thanks so much, as always, for the time, Kyla. Appreciate this. Enjoy the rest of your Monday. Enjoy the long weekend. And uh, hopefully we have a chance to catch up on uh, Easter Monday, I suppose. That would be great. Awesome. Looking forward to it. Acumen Laws, Kyla Lee, as always, joining me on Monday.